Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. If this show is the biggest disappointment of your week, well then you're having a better week than I am. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Ooh, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine. Oh, summertime is upon us. And on this week's episode uh, in Pipe Parts, going to visit with uh, an Ask the Blender, uh, Jeremy Reeves. And it's a perfect time to talk about because we're going to talk about rehydrating tobacco and answer that question. And then uh, my guest, more story times with Fred Janusik, so we get part two of that, which everybody enjoyed. And I got to hang out with Fred for a little bit at the uh, Chicago Pipe Show. So we get that music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, um, all the items for the JDRF auction have been uh, gathered. Uh, Might be waiting, well, possibly waiting for one more item. And then I will get those off to Steve Fallon, the pipe stud. And we'll let you know when those are going to go up on his pipestud.com website for sale and on his eBay listings. And remember, thanks to Steve, 100% of the proceeds, 100% of what you pay goes directly to uh, treating and finding a cure for type 1 diabetes all around the world. And that, you know, that affects uh, people like my daughter. So, you know, we still, we still call and check in with her every morning just to make sure she's okay. And just talk to her every morning, even though she's now 25. Wow. Yeah. So, anyway, never stops. And a uh, website announcement. Yeah, website announcement. So, go to VegasPipeShow.com, V-E-G-A-S, PipeShow.com. That is the website for the Las Vegas International Pipe Show, which was formerly known as the West Coast Pipe Show. And remember, we have the date set. Uh, Stuff will start on Friday night, October 21st, and go on until Sunday afternoon, October 23rd. So keep an eye on that website for details. Uh, By the time some of you are listening to this, we should have the room reservation discount code, and it is a discount off of those of you that have booked direct. So if you've booked direct with the hotel, you're going to want to cancel that reservation and go through our discount code on the website, and I'll make sure and announce it too. So you got time to do that, so don't worry about it. All right, and again, more information follow, you know, coming in future weeks as we put it up. And you'll find more information on the Pipe Show coming up on its own, again, on its own website, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, my Facebook, my Instagram. You know, it'll be all over the place. You will not miss it. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mila Folge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for Ask the Tobacco Blender is Jeremy Reeves, the head blender of Cornell and Deal and all empires associated within. Uh, Jeremy, (laughs) 
Here is your question. Oh, hello. Welcome back, and here's your question. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Mike writes, uh, let's see. Hope all is well. Love the show. This goes back to January, so I started listening a few months back and love listening to the old episodes as well as the new ones. Tons of solid content. Uh, I had the pleasure of walking into a tobacco shop in Connecticut and finding some gems. I happened upon some 20-year-old James B. Russell blends, Monarch and Diplomat, made by McClelland. I also saw a box of Samuel Gowith Brown Number no. 4 Twist. I don't know how old it is, but I figured it would be bone dry given I don't think the fine gentleman running the store had been to the back for a couple of years. <laughs> He said uh, he needs his walker, and I doubt it fit back there. So, <laughs> okay. Um, between about a half-hour conversation, the tobacco and a nicely oxidized on one side Peterson Dublin edition sandblasted 05, uh, <laughs> I may have made his year. So here's his question, and he says, yes, the brown number four twist was bone dry. My question to Mr. My questions to Mr. Reeves are: What is the best way to rehydrate rope tobacco? And would you do the same for plug or cakes as well? Also, if I wanted to try to rehydrate it with some Scotch whiskey or rum, how would I go about doing that? Is that even a good idea? Well, there you go. So he's got some old brown number four. Uh, first. Yep. Let, let's what's your advice on rehydrating it with just normal water hydration um well i would recommend trying to uh trying to use a bovida pack um i would probably go with the uh with the 72 percent bovida pack um put it in a jar uh with with the uh the 72 percent bovida and seal it up and leave it for several weeks um i can't guarantee that that is going to penetrate as deeply as it might need to into the core of the rope um because those things are are rolled so tightly yeah uh, and I also can't speak to whether or not this tobacco has been bone dry for so long that there's been flavor degradation. But uh, if if he if he's describing uh, you know a situation where this was left for years, um, it's very likely that even even with rehydrating, um, you're not going to necessarily be able to bring back some of the some of the oils that have dried off and, and degraded that uh, would really contribute to flavor. So you may notice that this doesn't really taste uh, like, like, like the, the rope tobacco would have if it had been kept in proper humidity for the time that it, that it was aged. Yeah. I think we've talked about this in the past where one, once those oils are gone, you can't yeah, replace them. You can add water back, but you you can't make the taste come back the way that it once was, and that's right. why that's why proper humidity, in cooperation with age, is so important. Yeah. Now, is it also possible? But I guess we don't know what the climate was in that you know in that deep dark dank back room. Uh, it's also possible that those ropes, as dense as they are, are still moist on the inside too. That is possible, actually. That's a good point. Um, yeah, it is. It is certainly possible that in in the core there is still some moisture, um, and and if if that is totally dried out, then it, it's possible that the bovida won't won't offer full penetration. At that point, uh, I would suggest the same thing that I was going to suggest also for rehydrating plug. Um, and that would be to uh, rehydrate as best you can the outside, again, using the, using the bovida in a jar. Um, and when it seems that the outside of the rope or plug has taken on 
some moisture and seems seems a little more not you don't want it spongy or wet it's never going to get yeah. that point with with the bovida anyway but you want you want there to be a little give and no no sound of crunching um then i would suggest actually cutting the rope or slicing the plug and leaving the sliced pieces or cut pieces in the jar with the bovida to allow uh the the humidification to get more towards the the inner core of those chunks of tobacco that that uh may may be difficult to rehydrate any other way yeah you could kind of fillet it like a halibut and 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 spread it open long ways and then you'll get that center core open yeah that's that's a good point you could yeah or you could cut it Um, into little pepperonis and you get that center core yeah that's kind of what that's kind of what I was thinking so that you wouldn't have to go through a double cut. Um, it had, it had basically at that point, once it got to the moisture level that you were looking for, you'd, it'd be ready to smoke. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're right. You could, you could just slice one edge of it. Yeah. And I will, I will warn you, don't use your wife's favorite kitchen knives when you're doing that. Just from experience. I'm just saying, <laughs> um, wife got mad. Um, just from experience. Uh, is it possible that you may have to use multiple Bovita packs to, you know, over a period of multiple months to slowly rehydrate that? I've never, I have never had uh, that difficult a time rehydrating tobacco. I suppose, I suppose if you live in a really arid climate, um, you know, like if we're if we're in the desert of New Mexico or Arizona, <laughs> um, possibly. But I have I have never had that difficulty um, in in rehydrating tobacco. Uh, but I also don't typically. Uh, I, I usually I usually move tins of tobacco that I've that I've opened into jars uh, before it ever gets to that point. Um, and so I haven't had a whole lot of call to, to do that except in buying old tins of tobacco that have dried out. And in those instances, I've been able to re moisturize, but I've never, I've never had the experience of like, Oh yeah, it was just right on the edge. And I, you know, I was able to save all, all the flavor of the, no, the, the, that stuff is gone years ago. Um, so yeah, and you and I live in the lovely southeast where the natural humidity during the summer is somewhere between 186% and even higher. <laughs> right. Uh, 483% humidity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've actually used just the, you know, just the our, you know, just the back porch and propped open a tin of dry stuff just let a little bit of you know left a little gap for air to come in and and left it sitting there for a week and let mother nature do its job um sure what do you think about um rehydrating it with scotch or a a liquor of some sort besides the fact that i'll i'll just say you're possibly ruining the tobacco and the liquor all at the same time (laughs) well um, if you, if you use alcohol to, to rehydrate, um, know that you are altering the flavor of the tobacco in a way that, uh, that you won't be able to quite undo. Um, and also know that, uh, whatever volume you're adding, um, you're, you can expect, uh, 40 to 50 percent typically um of of that of that moisture to be alcohol so don't spray uh whiskey or high proof rum on your tobacco and get it to the moisture level that you want it to and immediately move that into your pipe and light it um, because <laughs> you will you will you will find that that tobacco is burning kind of hot and could possibly do damage to the inside of your pipe um, if you're if you're using alcohol to hydrate uh, I would say put it in a spray bottle don't use nice stuff put it in a spray bottle 
lightly spritz the outside, gently mix it through. Uh, if you're if you're doing this with loose tobacco and on a rope, you'd want to lightly spritz the outside. Um, you know, I mean, inches away above the tobacco, let the mist settle down onto it. Um, put it back in a jar, seal it up, let it let it do its thing for a couple of days take it out do it again you want to go slow with this but you don't want to soak that rope in liquor that is going to for sure distill or or, or rather salute anything that tastes good about that tobacco um, into little pools down at the bottom of, of the tobacco, and then the rest of it's going to take off when, when the alcohol evaporates. You don't want to soak it. You will, you will be washing away flavor is what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and possibly making the inside of the bowl of your pipe a lot bigger. <laughs> right. <laughs> and your eyebrows a lot shorter, and your nose red and, yeah. Jeremy, thanks for yep. thank you very much for coming on. Uh, again, if you have any questions for Jeremy, email me Brian at pipesmagazine dot com, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Since its beginnings in eighteen seventy six, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents to expanding their catalog each year with new, innovative series. Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and here goes uh, part two of Story Times with Fred Janusik. And uh, here, I guess we uh, we pick up at the end of the 1970s. So that ended up the 70s. Uh, how during that time I'd been attending shows, two or three shows a year in Indianapolis and Boston and Philadelphia and Chattanooga, Tennessee and San Francisco and. Las Vegas, and they were all over the place at that time. And I usually I attended about two or three a year. And my collection <laughs> that I once said, if I have 12, it will be enough, <laughs> was now, and which was now at approximately 350. <laughs> and I sat down one day and said, this is ridiculous. I said, if I smoke one pipe a day, it would take me a year to get around to that pipe again. I said, I don't want that. I said, I'm going to get rid of most of them. And so I started going to shows and selling them off for whatever I could get for them and got it down somewhere below, a little below 100 and when I quit actively getting rid of them. And you know, kind of said, from now on, if I buy one, I have to get rid of one. I'm not going to let that happen again, go up like that. Mm-hmm. And it stayed that way until um, 2016 when I had my massive heart attack and four triple or quadruple bicep surgery and ended up with a lot of medical bills. And I came back and I still had over 100 pipes. And I said, I think it's time to get rid of more. And so I sold off, you know, at least 32 of them at once, pretty much at once, for a, a lot of money. And ended up with about 50 or 60 now that I have now, 36 of which are on a board that came from the tinderbox. I don't know if you ever remember going into a tinderbox, but they display them on walls and what looked like a, a painting. And it has a... Yeah. Uh, with a green velvet background and the little rubber pegs that hold them. Yeah. Now, when when Dennis De Piazza went out of business at his tinderbox in Schomburg, he was selling off some of his stuff, and I said, can I buy one of those? And he said, sure. So I bought it and put it on the wall, and that's where my collection, what I call my collection, now resides. It's got 36 pipes on it. 
And I'll leave. <laughs> that's a crazy number because going back to the mid-'70s, uh, a bunch of collectors from St. Louis uh, got together and decided that the ideal number of pipes for a collector to own is 36. And I had no idea how they came up with that number, nor did I believe in it because I had over 100 of them. But it seems strange that I should end up with my collection and it has 36 pipes in it. (laughs) So anyway, that was the 70s. And then came the 80s and something that many of you have heard about, the fantastic show in 82 in the St. Louis area, actually in a, a town called Town and Country, which is a very wealthy suburb of St. Louis. And it took place at a place called the Breckenridge Motel, which is, I guess, if you had to compare it to something, it's like staying in the Waldorf Astoria as a motel. (laughs) It's just gorgeous. Everything is perfect in there. The, The carpeting is red and the walls are white. They have a double staircase and you call it a circular staircase or something mm-hmm. that goes to the second floor when you walk in the door. And it's very pretty. And when we, we went, it was uh, early December, and they had a woman sitting there in a very fancy evening gown on a beautiful chair playing a harp, playing Christmas songs on a harp. <laughs> and that's how you were greeted as you walked into this place. And I thought, holy cow. <laughs> And Mike, Mike Rockman certainly isn't uh, backing off on luxury, that's for sure. So anyway, Peter and I went and got our room, got settled in our room and came back over and saw a guy with a pipe and asked him, you know, where is everybody? And they said, well, they're all down in a room down the hall here. And I asked for the room number and got it and went down the hall, <laughs> knocked on the door opened the door, and someone in there, and I'm not sure who it was, said, Hi, Fred. (laughs) Somebody knew me. And I look around, and there's pipes everywhere. The beds are covered with pipes. The TV, the top's covered with pipes. The chest of drawers is covered with pipes. There's a dozen guys in there talking and looking at pipes and picking up and trading around pipes and everything. And there's one guy kneeling on the floor on one knee by the bed looking at some pipes. And when they said, hi, Fred, his head jerked up. And he said, Fred? Fred who? And they said, Fred Janusik. He said, Fred Janusik. And he jumps up, runs over, and gives me a bear hug. (laughs) And I'm standing there. I have no idea who the guy is. Turning red. I'm sure I have no idea how many shades of red I turned embarrassed as hell. And he said, I'm Basil Sullivan. He said, I've been an admirer of your letters in the ephemeris for years. I wanted to meet you. And I said, well, thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad somebody reads them and gets some enjoyment out of them. But can you please let me go? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really one of the, uh, probably the second most embarrassed I've ever been in my life. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, you don't expect to get hugged by a guy you don't even know. <laughs> but as it turned out, we turned out to be great buddies over the years, and he was a heck of a guy. He and David Braddock were the guys who put on the show in Indianapolis called the Indiana Briar Friars show every year, which is next to Chicago, one of the biggest shows around. So anyway... The next day, we go into the room, and there laid out our 22 or 26, I'm not sure what, tables of pipes. And you can ask Rich Esserman, who's one of the few guys left, along with me, who remembers seeing that and all the pipes. It was unbelievable. We had never, not even in the Reese catalog, (laughs) could you see pipes like these table after table of Dunhill ODAs and gigantic Dunhills that Esserman now collects 
and shared straight grains table after table and everything, everything you can think of, all in that one little room from 20-some collectors. And I, I think all of our jaws dropped. Just <laughs> couldn't believe it was like dying and going to pipe heaven. <laughs> everything there, anything you could want, it was there. And I didn't even know most of the guys. You know, they were from the West Coast, East Coast. Esserman, that's the first time I met him. Mark Kaufman was a lawyer in San Francisco. We got to be good buddies over the years. And uh, lots of others. Uh, Bob Rex, Robert Rex, who owned Drucker's Pipe Shop. Yeah. And later a winery, which is called Deerfield Ranch. And it's still going and making wonderful wines, I think. And... Uh, who else was there? Just so many uh, the the big names, big collectors. They were they were all there for this event. And then, <laughs> of course, when I got home, I wrote it up in the ephemeris and what fun we had and how great it was. Not realizing that a lot of the big time collectors had not been invited to the show, and so I stirred up a hornet's nest. <laughs> About a lot of people were really ticked off that they didn't get invited with their collection. And you know, I had nothing to do with it, so Rockman had to bear the brunt of that. <laughs> but he didn't have a room. The room was just big enough for what we had there. But it was really something. So that was 1982. And the rest of the 80s was, for the most part, spent by me just adding, you know, more Dunhills and well, mostly Barlings, probably. I got kind of big into Barlings for a while and became Mr. Barling because of the research I did on it. Uh, pipe shops would call me up and ask about grading Barlings, whether they were transit, pre-transition, transition, or post-transition by how the, how the uh, markings went. And I remember a guy in Arizona calling from a shop one time and saying, I just bought... 18 barlings, which the guy told me are pre-transition, and I want to check it out. And I said, well, I hope you didn't pay a lot of money just in case. He said, I did. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh-oh. <laughs> and he reads, me the, he reads me the thing, and I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, these are transition, which means they were still using the same good wood as you know they were before, but the the nomenclature had changed, and people just don't pay as much for those with that nomenclature as they do for the old ones. At least you didn't get the post-transition, which everything changed, and they started putting fills in them and things like that. But I think he paid about $750 for them, and they were worth about $150. Oh, no. And I had to tell him that, and I said, I'm sorry, but... Next time, call me before you buy them. <laughs> Don't wait till afterwards. And I had, you know, to do that you know, time and again with other shops. And I think I got calls from the East Coast and that asking about Barlings. And we will pause the story times for Fred to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then, we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888 888- Three six six zero three four five. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and continuing with uh, part two of Story Times with Fred Janusik. 
And after I got into it, did a lot of research on it and wrote on it in the summers, Ted Gage came along and picked up the picked up the ball and ran with it. I mean, yeah. he really became Mr. Barley. Yeah. Uh, he did all the, the heavy lifting. And most of what was written now is, and what's known now is due to Ted Gage. I certainly Ted can't take uh, uh, whatever for that. You know, he did it. I can also, I was also Mr. Esserman at one time in the ephemeris. I started out <laughs> writing in 1976 and was afraid to even write anything. You know, who am I to be writing to this group of people? But I did. I wrote a couple letters, and then the letters started getting longer as I started doing research on barlings and other pipes and that. And then I got longer and longer until I was picking up two or three or four pages. And I got done reading one time, and I thought, my God, people must think, <laughs> you know, I have nothing to do but write pipe stories or something. <laughs> and I tried to, you know, kind of cut it back after that. And along came Rich Esserman to take over, and he was writing them four pages to eight pages. Long. <laughs> and I loved it because I, I loved reading his stuff, and I still do. But it at least got me off the hook that somebody else took over and wrote more than I did. He's <laughs> <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> in the 90s, everything started to change. Uh What's his name? Newcomb, yes, Newcomb's book. Newcomb's book came along and really did have uh, kind of a chaotic effect on the hobby until that book, uh, the, the mantra was BCD. If you went to a show, as a matter of fact, one of the characters at one of the shows are running around the halls yelling, BCD, BCD. If you have any BCD, come to my table. <laughs> uh, Barling, Burton, Dunhill. Those were the gold standard. You could trade with anybody. You could sell whatever. Any others, you're going to lose on, on, the, on the deal. You know, Kamoys, and even old Kamoys and GBDs and Sassini Fuerdots and the whole thing were just a grade or more lower in consideration to most most collectors doesn't mean they weren't as good but that's just the way it was so bcd was it and now along comes uh newcomb with his book saying that if you're smart you would sell five dunhills and buy one bonard so, <laughs> you know because they're that much better and everson and Konovitz and uh the Bang Brothers or the Bang Boys and a number of others. And of course I read it with mixed emotions because I owned some of those pipes. I had some Bang pipes that were fairly good and rather good even, but they, they weren't world changing. But the more he wrote about them and the more I thought about it and the more I started looking at them, uh, I started changing over, getting rid of my machine-made pipes and going more with artisan-made pipes, whether they were Danish or Swedish or German or whatever, and mainly in two shapes that I found out I really liked, and that's a bent apple and a bent uh, brandy, which is almost an apple, and slightly bent, preferably. And now my collection of 36 pipes on that board up there, uh, probably 80 to 90% of them are, are uh, bent apples or bed brandies and another thing that's strange about them and I get a kick out of doing this every once in a while when I'm talking to someone who doesn't know me about collecting pipes and they say what do you collect and I say bees <laughs> and they say yeah. bees yeah. you mean like Sherlock Holmes you're retired and you collect bees <laughs> I said no but 80% of the collectors I mean I'm sorry the pipe makers on my board have a name that starts with B. Most of them their last name, some of them their first name. But I've got Bong, I've got Ballaby, I've got uh, uh, oh oh, Barbie. Yeah. Bar Barbie and Baldi <laughs> and uh, on and on anyway. 
Oh, I shouldn't forget my dear friend, uh, uh, Becker, Wolfgang Becker, and also Paulo Becker. And a couple of them whose first names begin with B, and one of them, a new young carver, who has, as his, as his insignia on his pipe, B cubed. You know, B with a little three up him to the right. And that's because his name, both names start with B, and his last thing is Briars. So it's Brad something, Brad Bullock, Briars. Or he just puts B cubed. <laughs> so there's a triple B on that one. And then I have got, I've got one in the works right now by another B that I'm really looking forward to, and and that's um, Brad from our Zoom meeting. Yeah. Um, Brad Pullman, Pullman is making me a bent apple, and I saw it partially finished already. He showed me the sandblasted bowl without a coating yet, and it looks beautiful. So there is something to really look for forward to because I don't collect much anymore. I, I just don't feel the need. You know, with all the pipes I've got, I don't really need to be looking for more pipes to add at this point, although I still sneak a peek now and then. But with my eye condition, it's very, very difficult to even tell what a pipe looks like in a picture on on eBay anymore. So, and I can't see them in pictures in magazines. So maybe that's a blessing in disguise that I can't see anymore. <laughs> it saves me money. Yeah. So, so let's let's back up for but just. Anyway, the, I, I I just want to back up for I just want to back up for just a minute yeah. and talk about tobacco because did you uh, mm-hmm. when did you first hear about the idea of aging tobacco? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I did it. You know, I'm not. <laughs> Not with the idea of aging it, but I just put it away and, and let it sit there. And I noticed that it was generally better once it was aged. But I think when that guy first came out and said that it doesn't do any good, uh, who was he, Alan Greenspot or Great Night Greenspot? Alan Schwartz. Oh. Yeah, that's right, Schwartz. Yeah, when he came out and said it doesn't do any good to age tobacco. And then it started a big brouhaha. <laughs> and then I, you know, I, I came down on the side of aging is good because I had a bunch of them that I, you know, actually a couple I brought back from London in 1978 when I, when all this broke and I still hadn't opened those. So, yeah, I, yeah, yeah it's funny that, that I say that because I smoke and have been smoking for probably over 30 years. Dunhill Light Flake, which is now Peterson Flake. And <laughs> it gets good for about <laughs> four or five years. And after that, it starts to go downhill as far as I'm concerned. I, I When I buy cans, I write on the bottom of the year that I bought it. Well, I opened up a tin of nine-year-old Dunhill Flake a couple of years ago, just, you know, and it was... At the time, uh, nine years old, and it had turned almost black in the can. You know, it was still moist enough, but I rubbed it out as I do my all my tobaccos, put it in the pipe, lit it up, and said, "Yuck! <laughs> this stuff isn't really as good at all as the new stuff." And so now, I try not to age it more than four or five years, keep rotating it, because. I don't really like it once it gets aged. Now, on the other hand, our funny face buddy, Fred Hanna, <laughs> gave me a tin of, uh, what's the yellow and blue ones? Capstan. Yes, Capstan. A 50-year-old tin of Capstan, about, this must have been five or six years ago, in Chicago. He had a 50-year-old tin, which he opened up, and when he opened it, he heard the air escape, so you knew it was still fresh. And I tried a bowl of it, and that is the closest thing to perfection in tobacco that I have ever smoked. I absolutely loved it. And he said, well, you really like it that much, you can have it. So he (laughs) gave me the whole tin. 
And that summer, I <laughs> portioned it out. Like once a week, I would have a bowl of that that tobacco. And every time, I just loved it. And other, I know I have Capstan now that I've had for four or five years or more, and it's nothing like that after 50 years. Nothing at all. And there was one other tobacco that I would like to have back, and that, that is uh, GBD's Mariner Flake, mm. which was an odd, oddly cut flake. It was cut in little squares, about and three-quarters of an inch, maybe, on an edge. And it was in the paper that came with it. It said, soaked in pure, in pure, in, in real Puerto Rican rum. Uh, before it was yeah, cut, I guess, and pressed. <laughs> and I spoke that for a number of years, and then all of a sudden it disappeared, never to be seen again. And I really like that, really, really like that. It had a flavor, a touch of that rum flavor that stayed with it without permeating or overbearing. All through the smoke, right down to the end. Hmm. A lot of times you'll get that blast up front, and then it's gone after a while, or it over gets overbearing at the end. But this was just right down the bowl, smoked the same all the way, and it was delicious. So of course it would disappear for me. <laughs> so I'm stuck with Light Flake, which is a harmless tobacco. I say has no great flavor or anything, but it delivers nicotine anyway, and, it, <laughs> and it's okay. <laughs> So, and not much on aromatics. So back in back in the sixties, back in the sixties and seventies. I mean, how often were you smoking a pipe all day long, and you know, walking around with your pipe in your mouth everywhere you went? Back in the sixties and seventies, I was walking around with a cigarette in my mouth uh -oh. all day long and smoking a pipe at night. Okay. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my my friend uh, here in town. Another doctor of pipes, Gene Umberger. Mm -hmm. When I told him that, he said, "My God, man, when did you breathe?" I was smoking <laughs> over a pack a day, and then a couple of pipes at night, until I had. Well, I was starting to have some problems in early '90s, late '80s even, and in '93 I had my first heart attack. And oddly enough, that occurred one day after I quit smoking cigarettes. I bought a book called Switch Down and Quit, and it takes a year for the program, and I did it. And I quit, and I went a whole day without a cigarette, no big pangs or anything, and the next day I had a heart attack. Oh, no. And that was 90s. <laughs> and nothing, no surgery, nothing like that. But the doctor said, you better quit smoking cigarettes. I better quit smoking. And I quit the cigarettes, but... I didn't inhale the pipe, and I still remember the World Health Organization's study that they did on pipe smoking, on smoking in general, and said how bad it was for cigarette smokers. But for cigar smokers and pipe smokers, those who inhaled would die about the same age as a non-smoker. Those who didn't inhale a pipe lived longer than non-smokers. Yeah. And no one, my knowledge, has ever been able, able to repudiate that. They'll say about all the other things, well, you can get cancer of the tongue or on the nose or whatever. <laughs> it's bad for the air, whatever. But they've never been able to prove that, it, <laughs> that it's really bad for you. So I said, well, I'm going to continue with the pipe. I like it, and I like all the people that I met, and I'm going to just keep going. Well, six years, seven years later in 2000, had another heart attack and still no operation or anything. If they go back and exercise more and eat better. And then in 2016, I had the big one. And no, it wasn't a heart attack. I just didn't feel right. They went in and checked and did a catheterization and found four of my veins or arteries were closed and they did a quadruple bypass. Since then I had a stent put in my aorta and a thing put in my, a valve put in my heart. 
So just about everything is uh, <laughs> like the bionic man now. <laughs> all, all new part. Should be good for a while, I hope. The only bad thing, the only thing that really bothers me is my eyes. Because yeah, I just love to read. I used to read everything. The fact that I can't read any of the pipe magazines now or anything like that is really a constant uh, I don't know. It constantly makes me mad, I guess. So, I, you know, macular degeneration is it's an insidious disease because it steals your eyesight a little bit at a time. What was your first Im- what was your first impression of the Chicago Pipe Show when Frank fired it back up again and got it going on the I guess the first big one was really Indian Lakes and then Pheasant Run after that. I go all the way back to the when they first thought of it. Yeah. <laughs> I go back to the days when they were holding them in the tinderboxes <laughs> in the malls. So, I was on board with all of it. And I think he's done a, he did a fantastic job. Just fantastic. Yeah. Ed Lehman and uh, Chuck Rio and all those guys. I mean, they devoted a great deal of time and effort into that. Just unbelievable amount. It was, it was fantastic. I, I just hope they can keep it going. Now, I've been to a lot of them all over the country, and a lot of them are nice and, and well done, but Nothing compared to Chicago. And that's what most of the people that I know from overseas say as well. And I've gotten to know quite a few pipe makers from overseas. They've come and stayed at my house. Like uh, when we were just talking about Wolfgang, Becker, and Gita. They come and spend on three different occasions or come up here and spend time with us here. And Green Bay and Teddy Knudsen and and Nemo, the briar supplier for all the pipe makers almost. They came and spent a weekend with it. Uh, they spent one weekend and then the next year Teddy brought Meddy, his wife or almost wife or whatever, with him. And we had a great time. Great, just a great time up here. I still remember a cute story that happened one night about two o'clock in the morning we're still up drinking and Teddy and and Nemo are there arguing about briar and pipes and stuff and I asked Teddy I said you know I noticed something that almost all of your pipes you know you always pick them for beautiful grain but almost all of your pipes are lightweight you know as compared to the other people who are getting their briar from Nemo and he said that's because Mino puts all the briar and piles in his basement and puts the name of the person whose briar it is on it. He says, when he's asleep, I go down and feel the briar and switch <laughs> from my pile to somebody else's pile. <laughs> I go around and pick out all the lightest pieces and put them in my pile. And Mino laughed and said, yeah. He says, I believe you. He says, then when you go to sleep, I go back. I go down and put them back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They were characters. They were fun. They're kind of like kids almost. They're going at each other. And Teddy, as far as I'm concerned, you you can't say who's the best pipe maker in the world. You can say who gets the most money and and they do great work and so on. But based on just innate talent, I think Teddy might just be the best there is. And he goes under the radar, way under the radar. I don't think he even wants people to know how good he is. But I've seen things he can do that I don't think anybody else can do. And he does it almost all by hand and by eye. He doesn't use a whole lot of machinery. He uses a slamming, not a disc, a slamming wheel. You know, the kind of go around and they're about four feet long. Yeah. And does it all. Matter of fact, Edger Kavich, the pipe maker in Milwaukee, had him over to his house once and he was showing him how to do things. He said, That son of a gun, Teddy, made a perfect bent bulldog without using a machine. He did it on a sanding wheel. That's not a wheel. Whatever, what do you call those things that wheel around with a long strip of paper there, you can hold the bowl 
play up against it. Yeah, the uh, belt sander. It's just that same thing. He said, I've been trying for years to get a decent bent bulldog with my lathe, and I can't do it. And here he's doing it by hand. He said, I don't believe it. <laughs> That's one pipe maker talking about another. <laughs> so, well, I, I appreciate some of the stuff that Bonard and Everson and some of the others that have done. Uh, it's beautiful. But I wonder if they could do what Petty does, where you send in a picture or a drawing and tell them this is what you want and this is the size you want and this is the size air hole and the length of the shank and the bit and everything, which I have done. And when it comes back, it is absolutely perfectly what I asked for, yeah. which I couldn't believe because I've had other pipe makers do it for me and I appreciate it. But they're never quite as good as the one you're asking them to make or whatever. But with Teddy, every time I tried it, it was perfect. <laughs> so I have a great deal of admiration for his skills anyway. As a person, he's a real character. But as a skilled type maker, he's among the best, if not the best. Uh, That's my opinion anyway. That and a couple, that a couple quarters might get you a half a cup of coffee or something. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we will leave it off for this episode. More to come, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell and Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and for music. So I recently got a chance to see the documentary, Brian Wilson, The Long Promised Road. And uh, after watching it, not really familiar, you know, obviously familiar with the Beach Boys, but not really familiar too much with Brian's story, except he spells his name the right way. Uh, but just brilliant. If you get a chance and you have any interest in the Beach Boys, watch Brian Wilson, The Long Promised Road. And in his early, I mean, just you, you see an early 20s Brian in this, and he is literally a pure genius. So for music, we have uh, The Beach Boys, the original recording of Good Vibrations. I, I love the colorful clothes she wears. And the way the sunlight plays upon her head I hear the sound of a gentle On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm picking up Smile, I know she must be kind In her eyes She goes with me to a blossom room I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm picking up good vibrations She's my mind 
the different instruments in there i mean just some stuff that had never been used in rock and roll before and that is the genius that is brian wilson so uh, go check out the movie when you get a chance check your mailbox you moron and remember if you have a comment or question you can email it directly to me brian b-r-i-a-n at pipesmagazine.com or you could post it on pipes magazine on the radio show page on pipesmagazine.com and get it read here uh, questions for Ask the Blender or Ask the Pipe Maker, same thing. Email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at pipesmagazine.com. And we're going to do a quick mailbag here. So going back to last week's show, uh, and uh, J.M. Smitty 6 says, Great show, and it was a pleasure to see so many people in Chicago. I enjoyed chatting with uh, Fred Janusik and others during my time at the show. I can't wait for next year already. I'll see everyone in Columbus, Jason. Yeah, it'll be good to see you there too. Uh, you know, just again, Chicago, <laughs> big show. Columbus, a little more intimate and a little more time spent with people. Uh, Streeper five forty one says, "Fantastic show, Brian. Thank you so much. You are welcome." It was a lot of me talking though. Uh, and then Mav says. Uh, this is this is my first show, and it was so much fun. I think I made three rounds to all the tables just to see the pipes and talk to the owners' makers. I'm thinking of trying to get out to Columbus, which is about five hours for me, uh, just for me just to go to another show. Can't wait for next year already. Thank you for all those who make it possible. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, thank you to the show organizers again. Um, and uh, Mav with uh, Columbus, it really gets started around four o'clock on Friday, so you'll want to make sure and be there before that. In fact, on uh, last year on Thursday night or was it early Friday morning, uh, I scored some really big deals on some tin tobaccos there, so don't want to miss that. And then Dino says. Listening to tonight's show was like a cherry atop my Chicago Pipe Show experience. You did a wonderful job of capturing the excitement, camaraderie, and variety of the event. As an old fart, the interviews with the younger attendees were inspiring and make me hopeful for our pipe community. Uh, thanks for playing Desi. It shows there's much more than Babalu and Cuban Pete in this multi-talented artist's musical repertoire. Uh, I so totally agree about the, about the food situation at the hotel. The food was superb. The service was always pleasant and attentive, but the hours. Oy vey is me. Yeah, okay. Dino dropping the Yiddish. 
Um, and then he says, nice atmospheric photo by Quincy. <laughs> Love the Psycho Bunny shirt. Thanks for an always entertaining show and for the great chats and smokes in Chicago, Dino. Uh, Dino, you're welcome, and uh, thank you for, uh, you know, you were always there at the check-in table monitoring it and counting the $20 bills and then recounting them. Uh, and then Casey Ghost says, just a great show with one glaring omission, which I will get to. As I said, fabulous show. You really picked a good lineup of people to interview that added a real we-were-there feeling. I knew Desi was good, but I didn't realize he was that good. Good music. Cool photograph of yourself. Okay, the admission. Is it possible that a single Doctor of Pipes could at least tell us who is elected to the group? I've never once asked this question of a Doctor of Pipes and gotten an answer yet. What is the matter with you guys? Are you guys engaged in some kind of secret society that is planning God knows what? I gather John David Cole got elected, so maybe he's young enough to remember. <laughs> so I will get you an updated list. I would do it off the top of my head, but it's been three years since we had the formal meeting, and I just don't want to leave anybody out. All right. No secrets, um, except you won't get to know the handshake. All right, again, comments, questions, email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com, and uh, rant time is coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. prices have gone up recently in case you haven't noticed and uh, especially here in the United States where we are so car dependent and gas was you know relatively low priced compared to the rest of the world well now we're getting up there in prices and here's my here's my simplistic view on this and you're gonna have to excuse me if it offends you or if it's too simplistic for you or whatever it is uh, gas prices went up because a war started in Eastern Europe. An unprovoked war started in the eastern part of Europe. And in response to that, we had to cut off purchasing oil from one of those people. And I'm not saying who's right or wrong, but one is described as Mordor and the other one is Ukraine. Uh, but I'm just saying that, you know, again, this all started because, because of this war. And we had to say, you know what, we're not going to give you any money to go use to kill people that you really shouldn't be killing. So it's really hard for me to sit back and complain that we're not giving money to people that are unprovoked and killing other people with that money. And I've got to pay, you know, double what I was paying before for a gallon of gas. And nobody's shooting at me. Nobody's trying to bomb my house. Uh, I'm not having to wait for air raid sirens, you know. Uh, there's pipe-smoking brethren of ours on both sides of this that are not able to sit back, relax, fire up a bowl, and enjoy the podcast because the show's been cut off to parts of, you know, where this is happening. So every time I think, you know, this gas is outrageous and we've got to do something about this, first of all, I think here in the U.S. we were always too cheap on gas and... You know, thank God nobody's trying to kill me. And I can sit and smoke and relax with my pipe when I freely want to. Well, there you go. So that's my simplistic view. Again, if I offended anybody, sorry. Uh, thank you to uh, Jeremy for joining me and to Fred Janusik for all of his wonderful stories. And, of course, we'll have more of those. Uh, keep your ears and eyes peeled for more information on the uh, Las Vegas International Pipe Show. And thank you all for tuning in. 
Until next time. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy